What a powerful endeavor that is, family, for all of us to come together to engage in the reading of the word. And that's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to participate in. That's what we're here to practice. And so uh, for that reason, guys, I want to just encourage you right now to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Numbers 21. For those of you who are here for the first time. What we do here is the read and rant. We spend about 20 to 30 minutes reading through scripture. And then we spend another 20 to 30 minutes just ruminating over what the Lord is revealing to us in the scripture for this day. Um, I want to encourage you guys as you engage. I know there's about a hundred. There's about 130 of you right now on TikTok. Uh, you can share it as well. Uh, there's about 35 of you on IG and there's another uh, 10, 15 in our private Facebook group, which I'd invite you to go to. So if you ever miss a read and rant, you can always go back there. But the whole purpose of our time together here today is to engage in the reading of the word. We want to we want to engage in a meditational reading so that every believer can say that they've read through the entire Bible. And so that's the whole purpose. We've gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and now we're in Numbers 21. So we're we're on the, the tail end of the book of numbers. Um, but I truly believe that the Lord has something to speak to us today about. Um, and that's really what we do when we engage in the word of God, we're asking for God to speak. We're asking him to speak. We want the Lord to speak to us in this time. How do you hear from God in the hearing of the word? Well, one way to do that is to open up your mind to receive from God, open up your spirit to receive from God. So these are the three questions that we're going to ask as we begin to pray. These are the questions that we're going to ask. We're going to ask, what is the Lord revealing concerning himself? That's the first question. The second question that we're going to ask is, what is God revealing concerning people? And what is God revealing concerning me? So the first question is, what is the Lord revealing concerning himself? Because all scripture testifies of him. What is God revealing concerning people? Because the Lord's ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. So God is doing a work in us and through us to reconcile us all to one another and to him. And then the last thing that we're asking is what is God revealing concerning ourselves? Because the scriptures also tell us that the word discerns our thoughts and intentions. And so that's what we want to do. And we're going to pray that the Lord speaks. I have nothing planned today, simply to read and to hear from God to read and see what God has to say. So that's why I call it a rant because I got nothing. I got no notes, no nothing. I I got nothing planned other than just reflecting. And so what you guys are doing today is, is, is um, you are going to just reflect to receive from God, whatever God has to say. And you're eavesdropping into my process. You're eavesdropping into my discipline. And I pray that you would engage in that discipline along with me because it will transform your life. I promise you that if you discipline your work, if you discipline yourself in the reading of the word, it will transform your life. So let's engage. Father, we ask today as we uh, Lord, come together, Lord, people from all around the world in this moment coming in simultaneity right now Lord, for the reading of your word. Father, I just pray in this moment that you would speak to us. Speak to us, Lord. Convict us where we need conviction, correct us where we need correction, encourage us where we need encouragement, exhort us where we need exhortation. Father, bless us in this time, Lord, as we engage in your word. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Yesterday was a recap to bring you up to numbers. Now we're going to continue and we're going to press in. Numbers 21. We're going to press in and we're going to seek to hear from God. I got nothing planned. Just want to see what the Lord has to say today. All right. Numbers 21, it says this, the king of Arad, the Canaanite who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atharim. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their city. So the name of that place was called Horma. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, 
and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the Lord came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, then he looked at the bronze serpent and he lived. Now the children of Israel moved on and camped in Oboth. And they journeyed from Oboth and encamped at Aj-Abiram in the wilderness, which is east of Moab toward the sunrise. From there they moved and camped in the valley of Zered. From there they moved and camped to the other side of Arnon, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites, for Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. Therefore it is said in the book of wars of the Lord, Wahab in Sufath, the brooks of Arnon, the slopes of the brooks that reaches the dwelling of Ar. From there they went to Beer, which is the well where the Lord said to Moses, Gather the people together, and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, all you sing to it, the well the leaders sank, dug by the nation's nobles, by the lawgiver with their staves. And from the wilderness they went to Matana, from Matana to Nahaliel, from Nahaliel to Bamoth, and from Bamoth, in the valley that is in the country of Moab to the top of Pisgah, which looks down on the wasteland. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into the fields or vineyards. We will not drink water from the wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness. And he came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. Then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from Arnon to Jabbok. As far as the people of Ammon, for the border of the, of the people of Ammon was fortified. So Israel took all these cities, and Israel dwelt in the cities of the Amorites, in Heshbon, and in all its villages. For Heshbon was a city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab, and had taken all his land from his hand as far as Arnon. <laughs> Therefore, those who speak in Proverbs say, Come to Heshbon, let it be built, let the city of Sihon be repaired. For fire went out from Heshbon, and flame from the city of Sihon. It consumed Ar of Moab, the lords of the heights of Arnon. Woe to you, Moab! You have perished, O people of Chemosh. He has given his sons as fugitives and his daughters into captivity to Sihon, king of the Amorites. But we have shot at them, and Heshbon has perished as far as Dibon, and we have laid waste to Nopha, which reaches to Medeba. Thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. Then Moses sent a spy out to Jazer, and he took his villages and drove out the Amorites from there. And they turned and went up the way to Bashan. So Og, king of Bashan, went out against them he and all his people, to battle Edrei. Then the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand with all his people and his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwell at Heshbon. So he defeated him, his sons, and all his people until there was no survivor left in him, and they took possession of his land. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab sent the elders of Midian now, uh, now this company, 
will lick up everything around us. As an ox licks up the grass of the field and Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at the time, then he, then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of the people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once, curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. And they came to Balaam and spoke the words to spoke to him, the words of Balak. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, go back to your land for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Then Balak sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come, curse this people for me. So Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at that night. And he said, if the men come to call you, rise and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, that I shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went to the princes of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his, his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned, turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam stuck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either right or left. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord. She laid down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, I am not your donkey on which you have ridden. Ever since I became yours to this day, was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, which was a drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have killed you by now and let her live. 
And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it pleases you, I will turn back. (laughs) And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but only with the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now, when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border of Arnon, in the boundary of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, Did I not earnestly send you, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, Look, I have come to you. Now have I any power at all to say anything? The word of God puts in my mouth that I must speak. So Balaam went to Balak and came to Kiraj Hazuth. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep, and he sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. So it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. (laughs) Then Balaam said to Balak, build seven altars for me here. And prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. So Balak did as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand by your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me. And whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height, and God met Balaam, and he said to him, I have prepared the seven altars, and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Then the Lord spoke a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he returned to him, and there he was, standing at his burnt offering, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up his oracle and said, Balak, king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I denounce whom God has not denounced? From the top of the rocks, I see him. And from the hills, I behold him. There, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob? Or number one-fourth of Israel. Let me die the death of the righteous. And let my end be like his. Then Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you have blessed them bountifully. So he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? <laughs> then Balak said to him, Come with me to another place from which you see. Hold on a second. Then Balak said to him, Come with me to another place, from which you see them. You shall see the outer part of them, and you shall not see them all. Curse them from me, curse them for me from there. So he brought him up to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, Stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a sword in his mouth, and said, Go back to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he came to him, and there he was, standing by his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab were with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? Then he took up his oracle, and he said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he... And will he not do? Or has he spoken? And will he not make it good? Behold, I receive a command to bless. He has blessed and cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord is his God with him. And the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. For there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor divination against Israel. It must now be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. Look at the people that 
Look, sorry, a people rises like a lioness and lift itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Then Balak said to Balaam, neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. So Balaam answered and said to Balak, did I not tell you, saying all that the Lord speaks that I must do? Then Balak said to Balaam, Please come, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that he may curse them for, uh, curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam at the top of Peor that overlooks the wasteland. Then Balaam said to Balak, Build for me seven altars and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam said and offered a bull and a ram on every altar. Numbers 24. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go at other times to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face towards the wilderness and Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to the tribes and the spirit of God came upon him. Hmm. Sorry, family. Uh, hold on a second. I think my IG got cut off, so let me let me bring it back on. That's really weird. That's unfortunate. That's really unfortunate. Um, I don't know why it cut off, but we're back. Um. Numbers 24. Hmm. Now, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes and the spirit of God came upon him. And he took up his oracle and he said, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with his eyes wide open. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the water. He pours water from his buckets and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He has consumed the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down and he lies down as a lion and as a lion who shall rouse him. Blessed is he who blesses you. And cursed is he who curses you. Then Balaam's, Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam. And he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies. And look, you have bountifully blessed them these three times. Now, therefore, flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you. But in fact, the Lord has kept you back from honor. So Balaam said to Balak, did I not speak to your messengers whom you sent to me saying, if Balak were to give me a house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will. What the Lord says that I must speak. And now indeed I'm going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter days. Hmm. So he took up his oracle and he said, the utterance of Balaam, son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes were open, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the most high. He who sees the vision of the almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of David. Sorry, out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, a batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of tumult 
and Edom shall be a possession. Seir also his enemies shall be a possession. While Israel does valiantly out of Jacob, one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. Then he looked at Emelech and he took up his oracle and said, Emelech was the first among the nations, but shall be last until he perishes. Then he looked at the Kenites and he took up his oracle and said, firm is your dwelling place and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be buried. How long until Asher carries you away captive? Then he took up his oracle and said, alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from the coast of Cyprus and they shall afflict Asher and afflict Eber and shall also afflict Amalek until he perishes. So Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place and Balak also went his way. Ah, the words of the living God, not just the words of God, but the word of God. It's good to see you all. Uh, for those of you who are here, I'm sorry if my, my, uh, my IG got cut off there and I know I lost a whole bunch of people, but it's unfortunate that it got cut off um, there. But every morning we spend half an hour in the reading of the word. Our intention is to simply read the word. And then we spend another half an hour ruminating over the text, reflecting over the text. And what we're asking prayerfully are three questions. What is the Lord revealing concerning himself? What is the Lord revealing concerning people? And and what is the Lord revealing concerning me? These are three critical questions that we ask as we um, engage in his word. Our purpose is to read through the entire Bible. We've read now through the entire New Testament. You can go back to our Facebook group, The Font Everywhere. And um, it's a private group right now. We haven't launched it publicly, but there's already almost... Um, I think that I think we've hit a thousand people. There are a thousand people on there already who are there. Um, you can you can catch all the reading and rants from there because now we've gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and now we're closing. Uh, we're about to close close out the book of Numbers this week. Um, but I want to encourage you to do that. I also want to encourage you to check the reading and rant podcast. So if you ever miss it and you just want to start catching up, we, we're putting all the content on there as well. Um, we started a little late, but I'm just grateful that we're actually doing it. So we're engaged in that as well. The Facebook group name is The Font Everywhere. The Font Everywhere. Okay. Um, but this is what we do. And basically what the what the podcast is, is just the audio recording of what we're doing right now. So you can always catch up on that. But the podcast is usually a month behind. Okay. Um, whereas the font everywhere, we post it right away because I've got our font community who's on as well. Good to see you, Ellison. Good to see you, Izzy. I'm glad you're here. Those are my two boys. And I'm glad that they're here uh, to spend time in the reflection of the word. I want to, uh, again, I'm, 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 I'm not doing a Bible study per se, but I'm doing a reflection. And as you guys know, for the past few days, uh, past few reading rants, I've been spending a lot of time giving you a foundation, a background for how we ought to be reading the, uh, the the Old Testament. We read through Genesis, which is a story of Abraham and his family. We read through Exodus, his family became a nation that was in captivity, but now has left captivity uh, under the leadership of Moses and, and is now in the wilderness. Um They've been they've made a covenant with God to be a nation of people that carry the very presence of God. They made a covenant with God to be a nation of priests. Right. That's really what Exodus is all about. But Exodus ends with them not being connected to the presence of God because of their sin and disobedience to the law that was given to them. The law was given to them. Notice the law wasn't given to us, but the law was given to them. Um, Christians ought not to read the law as if it was written to Christians. It was written for Christians. It's a b huge difference. And so it was written to them to shape them to become the priests that God had called them to be. They failed in doing so. And for that reason, they could not enter into the presence of God. So they're at Mount Sinai. And yet Moses could not enter into the tabernacle. So God now gives them a way out. Through the law, he created the atonement and the atonement by the sacrifice that is initiated and instigated and administrated by a priest. The sacrifice by the priest 
gave the people access to go into the presence of God. Is everybody here with me? The, the sacrifice that the priest administers gives the people pre, uh, access back into the presence of God. Not because they were perfect, not because they were holy, not because they were righteous in and of themselves, but simply because they've been given access back to God through this means and this method, which is the blood sacrifice. And Leviticus is all about that. Now we're in the book of Numbers. Now that they have the system or the economy by which they can be, they can re-enter the presence of God through a blood sacrifice. Now they're ready to leave because they said that they would not leave. They would not leave the mountain unless the presence of God came with them. So notice here, guys, it's important. And Ellison and Izzy, I want you to listen very clearly. Getting access into the presence of God has nothing to do with how well you fulfill his law. Getting access into the presence of God has nothing to do with how capable you are of obeying God's rules, quote unquote, or the law. Getting access to God has has nothing to do. I, I, I can't I can't emphasize this enough. Nothing to do with how well you follow the Bible and how well you follow the rules. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament was not written for you. Sorry, it was not written to you. It was written to the children of Israel. So getting access to God is not based or a function of your obedience to these laws that you see in the Old Testament. This has nothing to do with that. Your access to God has everything to do with what God has given you a ticket to get into his presence with. And that is a blood sacrifice. He says in Leviticus that the life is in the blood. So we have access back into the presence of God through the blood sacrifice. Who administers the blood? The mediator, because you can't come into the presence of God with the sacrifice because you are unholy in of yourself. So someone who is holy has to enter into the presence of God for you and to bring the sacrifice for you. And so God is showing you, and that's what he's revealing here as we're reading through the Old Testament, that our access to God has has nothing to do with our performance, but rather has to do with our submission to bring the sacrifice to God. So the question is, what is the sacrifice? Notice, not what is the rule that you have to obey, but what is the sacrifice that you bring? And I've said this before, and I'll say this as we get into numbers here, and as we read this portion of the text, we have something that the children of Israel do not have. We have something better than the children of Israel had. We see what God is saying. God is saying it's the blood. The life is in the blood. And through the sacrifice of the blood, you can now have access back to God. And yet we had a perfect priest who came as our mediator. And he was also the perfect sacrifice. Jesus Christ is our ticket into the presence of God. Not how well we follow Bible rules. As a matter of fact, those rules were not to us. <laughs> okay, it was not how, how well we followed the Bible's rules, but rather our submission to Christ being our representative and Christ bringing the sacrifice to us. It has nothing to do with your performance. God has always been in the business of restoring you and he has nothing to do with you, has nothing to do with how well I can't I can't emphasize this enough and I can't iterate this enough because a, too many times I see too many Christians who are still trying to f to follow the Bible's rules to be accepted by God. You cannot be accepted by God through following the rules. Why? Because even then you fall short. Even then you fall short. And so going back now, we see these people now have, they carry the presence of God and now they carry the presence of God. Hey, Corey, man, good to see you, bro. I'm just glad you're here. All right. I'm just glad you're here. Um, um, I'm just glad you're here, man. So just come through, listen in. Um, but this is, this is the issue. I think that's really important here. The issue that's really important is that most Christians read the Bible wrong. Okay. Most Christians read the Bible wrong. They read the Old Testament as if it was written to them. And the Old Testament was not written to you. The Old Testament was written to a people. Okay. Not you, but to a people. Okay. To the children of Israel. Okay. You had, you had uh, Abraham, 
Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, Israel had sons, and those sons became a nation, and now they're navigating through the wilderness. In numbers, they actually start moving, okay? This is all really about what God is doing. It's not about what you need to do. Let me say that one more time. This is about what God is doing through a people, not what you need to do. Notice what I said there. It's about what God is doing through a people. So many times people have this perception of God or this perspective of God where it's God's like this, um, this like guy up in the clouds who's kind of looking down and telling people what to do. And he's, he's, we don't understand the intimacy and the intimate connection between God and mankind. God is ruling the earth through mankind. God is ruling. That was his intention from the beginning. He wanted Adam and Eve to be his rulers, his representatives on earth. This is the collective intelligence of humanity that God wanted to rule the earth through human beings. Therefore, if there's brokenness in the world and humans choose something other than the character of God, all the brokenness must be restored in him. And now he's calling a family to do that. That's what he's doing here. And so we're seeing, that's what the, let me say one more thing. And I know I had answered this question before, but and I know I'm, I'm slightly ranting a little bit, but you guys are here for that. That's why we're here. We're ranting for a little bit, but I want to make sure I emphasize this enough. Um, and I'm going to point to something that I want you to see. And you're going to, I hope this really opens your mind to some things. Okay. Actually, let me take you straight to it. And then we'll, we'll, we'll dig into it here. Um, if you look at numbers 21, okay. And numbers 21, I love the bronze serpent story. A lot of Christians love the bronze serpent story. Uh, I may go there, but I, I, that's not really where the Lord is leading me. I really have to speak into this because I need to deconstruct some things here. Okay. Look at verse 14, Numbers 21, verse 14. I'm going to say something that might really make some people uncomfortable here and may disturb uh, Christians, okay? Cultural Christians. This might disturb you, but stay with me here, okay? In Numbers 21, verse 14, I want you to see that. And we'll see what it says. It says, therefore... It is said in the book of wars of the Lord, Wehab and Sepha, the brooks of Arna, and the slopes of the brooks that reaches the dwelling of Ar. Did you guys catch that? Therefore, it is said in the book of wars of the Lord. Why am I pointing this out? I'm pointing this out to you because I'm going to say to you something that people just don't they don't pay attention to or their pastors ignore or it's just something that nobody really ever really addresses. It's this. Every book is not in the Bible. Let me let me get a little drink of coffee here. Cause this is where things might get a little weird. So it might get a little weird here. So stay with me. Okay. Um, did, did my, did my IG fam get back? Okay. A lot of you guys got back. So it's good to see you. Every book is not in the Bible. There are books that are not in the Bible. Okay. Stay with me. Okay. There are books that are not in the Bible. Ready for this? Every spiritual book is not in the Bible. All right. Trust me, I'm going somewhere here. Every book is not in the Bible. Every spiritual book is not in the Bible. There were other books that were written that have spiritual truths that are not in the Bible. And it's interesting because the Bible, okay, because the Bible actually refers to to some of those other books like here and in this case and in verse 14 it says here 
Therefore, it is said in the book of wars of the Lord, literally in the Bible, it's saying I'm referring to another book that's not in the Bible. Are y'all catching that? In the Bible, it's referring to another book that is not in the Bible. The Bible is referring to the book of wars of the Lord. So there's another book. That's one. And there are other books. We see that the Bible refers, quotes the book of Enoch. The Bible quotes other books. Now, here's where, um, and hopefully, hopefully I, you know, I know this is making some people uncomfortable because some people would like to think that the Bible has all spiritual information. The answer is no, it does not. And there are people who would like to believe that the Bible has everything you need to know. The Bible does not have everything you need to know. I'm going to explain to you what I mean by that. The Bible does not have all knowledge and all information. The Bible does not have calculus. The Bible does not have anthropology. Um, the Bible does not have physics. The Bible does not have everything that is true. Is everybody hearing me? The Bible does not have all information. So then why are these books in the Bible and why don't we read the other books? This is not to say that there isn't some truth in the other books. The issue is, is people don't understand the purpose of the Bible. The Bible's purpose was not to give you all spiritual information. <laughs> stop. The purpose of the Bible was not for you to know everything. The purpose of the Bible was not for you to have all spiritual information, all spiritual insight, all spiritual... That's not the purpose of the Bible. Family, family, I got to make sure you understand this. The reason why these books are in the Bible, and hopefully this will liberate some people because there's some people who will say, man, I can't trust the Bible because there's books missing. And they don't understand why those books are missing. The reason why those books are missing is because those books do not contribute to the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's that simple. It's not to say that physics isn't true, but because physics doesn't, doesn't adequately explain who Christ is and the work that Christ has accomplished, revel, the, the, the physics has no place for that. We don't need to put that there. There's books like the book of Judith or the book of Enoch or other books in the Bible, other books that have spiritual truths. But those books don't need to be in the Bible because they don't serve the purpose for the Bible. The purpose of the Bible is to reveal Jesus Christ. I like that, Brother Reginald. The mysteries of God belong to God. Here's the problem. The problem is we're more interested in getting knowledge and information than getting to know Jesus. The problem that I have with a lot of Christians today is they want to get all this insight, all this information, all this spiritual information. So they want to dig into the, the universe and dig into astrology and dig into those things which have partial truths. And yet they do not point back to Christ. So what do they do? They leave you seeking to glorify yourself because now you have more information. You know more information, but you don't know Jesus. You know more information, but you don't know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, then you don't know God because to know God is to know Jesus. So some of these truths are deceptive truths. Can I say one more thing? Please do not think that deception is lying. Deception always has truth in it. As a matter of fact, deception can be true. Deception is always deflection. Let me say it one more time. Deception is always deflection. So there are other truths out there, but if those truths lead you to glorifying yourself, if those truths lead you to seeing yourself highly, something above who God is, if, if those truths draw you away from Christ and draw you into seeking the universe or seeking your own benefit or seeking your own self-exploration or your own self-discovery, those things are demonic. Let me repeat that one more time. People sometimes think that something that is demonic 
is something that is possessed by a demon. That is not true. Something that is demonic, you can go back to the book of James and it iterates to us what demonic wisdom is. Demonic wisdom is a wisdom that gratifies the flesh. So something that is demonic is simply something that is flesh gratifying. Something that is demonic is something that seeks their own glory and their own pleasure. That's why we say that sage is demonic. That's why we say astrology is demonic. That's why we say these things are demonic. We're not saying they're demonic because there isn't truth in them. <laughs> there actually is a little bit of truth in them, but it's just enough truth in them that will draw you away from Jesus. It's just enough truth that will draw you away from God. Horoscopes, same thing. These are all demonic. They're not demonic because there's a there's a there's a you know a witch doctor or something behind them. We make it sound so mystical, and sometimes we bring it above what it needs to be. It's very simple. It's demonic because it draws away from the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose for every book in this Bible. If there are books missing in the Bible, it's because they weren't needed to reveal Christ. The book of Enoch has incredible spiritual insight. But guess what? If all you know is spiritual insight and you don't know Christ, you're lost. If all you know is all the spiritual information about the universe and all these things, you're lost. If all you know is the book of wars of the Lord, you're lost. I have to iterate this and I have to say this because for many people, the fear that a lot of people have is, this Bible, their books missing. And the question that they have is why are these books missing? Why are these books missing? Why, why don't, why don't these books, why aren't these books there? Why are, it's not to say that there isn't truth in those books. It's that those books weren't needed to fully reveal Christ. And I want you to understand this too is, and I'm going to say something else that's going to be slightly controversial, but anyway, that's what I do. I tend to be a controversial person, apparently, when I just speak truth. The Bible is authoritative, but the final authority is Christ. The Bible wasn't meant to be worshipped. The Bible was intended for you to know Christ. It was intended to draw you and to lead you to Christ. Does anybody understand that? The purpose of the Bible was not for you to be well-informed, to have all this information and to know all this doctrine and to have all this insight and to be super sane, spiritual. You know, what's funny is that most spiritual movements are demonic. You want to know why they're not demonic? Because they're about self-discovery. They're not about the discovery of Christ. They're not about the glory of Christ. So you have other religions and these religions seek to just simply, I'm here to discover myself. I'm here to just self-actualize, discover myself. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. And that's not what the scriptures are for. And yet, how many people have used the Bible in a demonic way? <laughs> how many people use the Bible as a means of self-discovery, putting themselves in the text in a way that what the text wasn't intended. Maybe you need to go back and reread the scripture. Go back and reread the Bible, right? For many Christians, they actually don't understand the word because they've been reading it from the wrong perspective. You've been reading it from the wrong perspective. Anyway, I wanted to point that out. I wanted to point that out. So when we read Numbers 21, I hope that was helpful to someone. Notice in Numbers 21 verse 14, it refers to another book, the book of wars. And it quotes the book of wars. And it says, Wahab and Sufa, the brooks of Arnon, the slope of the brooks that reaches the dwelling of Ar. Now notice what it does later on in verse 27. Therefore, those who speak in Proverbs say, the Bible, again, is quoting a spiritual book that is not in the Bible. Therefore, those who speak in Proverbs say, come to Heshbon, 
Let it be built. Lot, let the city of Sihon be repaired for the fire. So notice that whole section there is a quote of another book that is not in the Bible. That's to say that the Bible does not have all information. The Bible does not have all insight. The Bible does not have everything. The Bible has everything you need to know God, to know Christ, to know his mission and to know his plan on earth. That's what the Bible has. It's everything you need to know God, to know his mission and to know his plan on earth. And if that does not satisfy you, you need to check your own heart. Can I repeat that one more time? If that makes you uncomfortable and it does not satisfy you, then you need to check your own heart. If you if, if you just want to know more of everything else that's going on and all the other things that are going on in spirit, but you give that precedence over Christ, over Jesus, then then we have to check our hearts. Everybody hear that? You have to. You got to check your heart. Okay? You got to check your heart. Now, there are those who, have I read these books? I have. I've read those books. And I've, I've gotten insight in those books. However, those books do not point directly or they're, they're, they're not necessary. Let me put that that way. They're not necessary in revealing Christ. So this is why we give this word precedence. I, oh, wow, it's 8.56. Okay. Um, I thought I would have time to say some other things, but um, um, I hope this was helpful to you. Um, I like this story. And the reason why I like the story of Balaam is, and, you know, we've read it and and, and we, we, we see the story of, uh, of Balaam who is, a, a, a minister uh, he's seen as a spiritual man some uh, a, a priest of some sort right it, it doesn't give us all the specificity of it but it's a priest he's a priest of some sort and we see now that word is getting around of the exploits of the children of Israel the children of Israel have been going from town to town and they've been winning battles. They've been winning these battles. Notice that they didn't want to fight. They're not even looking to reside there. They just wanted to go through. But to go through, there were people who came after them. And I think there's a word of encouragement there. That there's some battles that you're fighting in your life today. That aren't for the territory itself. But for access to get to where you need to go. Um, that's another word for another day. And that's another conversation for another day. But as I'm closing, I want to leave you with this. That there's all this activity happening. We can go back and talk about Moab and, and, and we could talk about Edom, the Moabites and the Edomites. Remember, Moab and Edom were the sons of Lot. Remember, Lot was Abraham's nephew. These people were related to the children of God. The problem was is the children of God had left. They left um, Canaan to go to Egypt when they should have only spent a short period of time in Egypt. They spent a long period of time in Egypt, so much so that that they lost right position in the territory that was theirs. There are a lot of us, we lose God's promise because we overstay our welcome in temporary places. Egypt was intended to be a temporary place. Goshen was a temporary place, but they overstayed their welcome. They fell into captivity there. And as a result, they lost their name to the land. Now, here's where it's really interesting is now you have the Edomites, other family members. These were cousins of them. And then you had the Canaanites as well. But they now took over that region and that area and that territory. Now watch this. They're going from Goshen, from Egypt, to Canaan, the land that was promised to them. But on the way, 
they encounter nations. Notice that their fight wasn't for the territory. Their fight was to survive the trip to where they're called. They're people that they're not, they're not resisting you because you're going to take over their land. They're resisting you because you're a threat to them even in your transition to where God's calling you to be. And so all the word gets around and the word now is, is that these people are fighting battles and they're winning. Another thing I want to say after that, we'll just break this down tomorrow. Okay. Cause I, I don't want to belabor the time. Notice what we talked about yesterday, the book of Leviticus in the book of Leviticus, they spent a year working through and actively engaging in the law of the atonement. Okay. In the law of the atonement. Now watch this. The book of numbers opens up where now they're getting ready to leave because with the atonement, they now have access to the presence of God. And the book of numbers opens with a census and notice that the census was a military census. These people during the year that they had spent in um, at Mount Sinai, it is safe to argue that these people were training for battle. For a year, they were preparing for war because they knew that even though they were going back to a land that was promised to them, what was promised to them will not be handed to them. What was promised to them would not be handed to them. And I know I spoke into this and I'll just iterate this. Family, let us not confuse the resistance that we get to the things God is promising to us as God reneging on his promise. Let us not presume that because something is hard, it's not promised. Anybody hear that? God might promise you a, your marriage, but your marriage is going to have battles. God might promise you certain things, but those things will have challenges. And just because you're going through a difficult season and a difficult moment through what God is calling you, it does not mean that God didn't promise that to you. There are things that God promises you that you're going to have to fight for and that you're going to have to fight to keep. I say this because there's some people right now who right now your marriage is not where it needs to be and you feel like it's falling apart and you're going through all this resistance and there's so many things that aren't going the way that it should go and there are some of you that are actually questioning God and saying, God, did you really promise that to me? Like, was that really, was that, was I, what was he the one? What was she really the one? Did I disobey you? It's easy to, to confront the resistance and believe that man got in it. It's easy to do that. But when you understand that what God gives, he does not hand over, then you'll know that there are some things that God is calling you to that you're going to have to fight for. Therefore, if you believe that God promised you that marriage, you fight for it. If you believe that God promised you that business, you fight for it. If you believe that God promised you that you fight for it, you fight for it because the enemy will come to seek, to kill and to destroy. But God came that you may have life and that you would have it more abundantly. These children faced resistance and yet they were winning these battles. They won these battles. They won these battles. They won these battles and they're getting closer and closer. And now as they're getting, um, as they're getting closer and closer, Balak now calls on Balaam to pronounce curses on Israel. And we're done. We're going to stop right there to pronounce curses on Israel. Let me close this. As they're fighting, and as they're getting to the next enemy, there are things that are happening behind the scenes 
that seek to thwart their initiative moving forward. This may sound weird to some people, but there are some things that the enemy is doing right now in your life. There are spiritual forces that are going against you. Do you know that? Do you know that the enemy has plans to destroy you, to seek, to kill, and to destroy? That the enemy has a plan for America. The enemy has a plan for Nigeria. The enemy has a plan for the world. There are evil forces at bay, family. Okay? This is this is just reality. There are forces at bay against your marriage. There are forces at bay against your family. There are forces at bay that you do not see, that you are not aware of. This whole story that we just read is happening behind the scenes as Israel is progressing through the wilderness. And yet God is at work. God is at work in the things that you don't even see. God is at work interceding for you. God is at work. I know we read the text and maybe this will be, this, this will be, this will be weird. Okay. This will be weird, but we read Balaam and we think Balaam is for the enemy. Balaam was actually a neutral priest and the scriptures are revealing to us. Balaam was a prophet who actually heard from God. The prophet actually spoke to God. The scriptures tell us in Numbers 22 verse 20, and Balaam, and God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men come to you to call you and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. The prophet, even when he wanted to submit to the agenda of the enemy, this prophet was a prophet of God. How do we know that? Because he was submitted to the spirit of God. Do you hear that? Balaam was submitted to the spirit of God. Notice Balaam had one desire, but God's spirit made him say something else. If it was up to his will and his volition, he would have said one thing, but God led him and compelled him to say something else. This is for somebody who, who needs to understand this, that when you are overwhelmed by the spirit of God, you begin to realize that your agenda now is superseded by God's agenda. When the spirit of God begins to move over you, there's something that overtakes you. There's something that controls now, controls what you do. You, you can't understand it, but you feel led to say this and to do this and to do that. Balaam, while he, while he, he was inclined to pronounce curses, God was at work behind the scenes and did not allow him to pronounce curses. What's interesting with this is because I believe, and we say it in verse eight, number 23, verse eight, how shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? While Israel is meandering and navigating through the wilderness, God's got a secret agent behind the scenes working on their behalf. While the children of Israel are meandering and navigating through the wilderness, going from battle to battle, God is at work behind the scenes. What if I told you today that God is still at work in your life? What if I told you today that God is still working behind the scenes? What if I told you today that there's a God who interceded before you even existed. What if I told you today that there were forces of evil at bay in your life seeking to destroy you and yet God came and mediated for you? What if I told you that there's some stuff you're dealing with right now, you can't understand it, but you do have a sense that there's something moving behind the scenes. What if I told you that God is fighting battles that you will never fight on your own? That's why the scriptures say that you are more than a conqueror because conquerors fight battles they win. Those who are more than conquerors win battles they never fight. 
And what Christ is doing, what God has done is he's fought a battle for you. When the enemy had a plan against your life, when the enemy had a plan to destroy your future, to destroy your destiny, to destroy your soul, God had a plan behind the scenes and there was an agent behind the scenes, Balaam, and yet there was an agent behind the scenes for you. That agent was Christ himself serving as mediator for you mediating for you when the enemy wanted to pronounce curses against you he mediated for you he mediated for you the very fact that you're still here the very fact that you still exist the very fact that you're still breathing there's some people right now who know what it's like to know that the enemy is trying to destroy something in their soul when you begin to have those thoughts in your mind of self-destruction and and you begin to have those thoughts and all of a sudden a peace begins to take over you that's your mediator at work that's your mediator acting on your behalf. That's your mediator who's standing in your fo- in the fold. That's your mediator who's saying, I got this. Don't worry. I know the enemy wants to destroy you, but I got this. I'm standing in the fold. There's some battles you'll never get to. There's some battles you'll never fight. There's some battles you'll never know about. It's in the end, you'll begin to realize that the very reason why you're still here is because Christ has been mediating from the beginning. So thank the Lord that he's here that he's mediating for you. When you were his enemy, he mediated for you. When you were for him, he was mediating for you. When you did not know him, he's mediating for you. There's some of you who do not know him and he's still mediating for you. (laughs) Even when you're not aware, he's still mediating for you. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We have something better than Israel. We don't have Balaam. We have something better than Balaam. We have Christ. You have something better than Balaam. You have Christ. So as we close in prayer, let's be reminded today that Christ is fighting our battles in the background. Lord, I thank you Lord, as we've been engaging in your word, Father, I thank you. I thank you for each and every person, Lord God, all 330 people on TikTok, all 35 people on IG, all 25 people on our Facebook group. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are mediating for all of us. Those who believe, those who do not believe, those who are with you, and those who, Lord, you are going to take as your own. Father, I thank you that you're giving us new perspective, new insight, that you're speaking to us and that you're breathing your word into us, Father. So, Father, breathe through us. Inspire us with your presence and your word. Bless us today, Lord, and as we return again tomorrow, Lord, let us be encouraged to know that you are fighting on our behalf. And we say that in your name we pray. Amen.